following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Does not take too much observation to see that Christmas in our culture is dominated and has been dominated for some time by stuff. By stuff. Um, this leads to some questions. Here's just a few of these questions for us. First question is this. There might be a few of you out there who enjoy the hunt, all right? You, you like the hunt for, the, for, that, for that perfect gift, and, and that's something that brings you joy. Um, now, don't take this next question wrong if that's you, all right? Enjoy the hunt if you really, really like that. But often when it comes to the Christmas shopping, do we take into account the likely scenario that the gift will soon be forgotten? Young parents, and maybe those of you who aren't such young parents anymore, do you remember the days where you spent that time finding those perfect gifts and then Christmas morning rolled around and you realized it would have been, I don't know if happier, but certainly just as happy and much cheaper if you just bought the little darling or a whole roll of gift wrap paper and given it to them because they're more interested in the paper and the box than what's in it, all right? Um, Here's some more questions. How early do we teach our young ones to expect stuff for Christmas? How much do we enjoy giving? There's another question. Um, How much do we enjoy getting? And this leads to the final question. How do we keep stuff from stealing Christmas? All right. It is a battle. It is where we live. Remember, I mean, like I said, Walmart... Walmart brings Christmas to our doorstep usually by October and it's getting earlier every year, you know. Um, Tim told me, you know, Tim who is, who is a, a mailman told me that he really loves all this stuff for Christmas and he loves Amazon, don't you Tim? If you bring the sleigh bearing gifts each and every day and it's been going on for a while now, I'm guessing. Um, when it comes to this, this battle, this battle of, of stuff, we, we, better, we probably better recognize the enemy. Because if you're going to win the battle, you've got to recognize the enemy, all right? So again, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be here for just a little bit. We'll begin in verse 13. And this is what it says. It's interesting. Jesus, now, now I will talk about this a little bit more before we're done also. Not everything Jesus did, not everything that Jesus said is recorded in our Gospels. I mean, we don't. That's a lot of, that's a lot of material, okay? Um, but what we do get in the Gospels is we get some interesting requests from Jesus at times. And this is one of those interesting requests. Again, Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. You ever heard that, parents? Tell my brother to share. You ever heard that one before? But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, beware. And then he says it again. Be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Brothers and sisters, every one of us in this room is susceptible to greed. It comes way too naturally. We're born with this very deep within us. So fortunately, Jesus, he says, that's what you beware. 
You be aware of it. You keep your eye out for it for every form of greed. And what Jesus does, because he is the ultimate teacher, when he gives the advice, he follows the advice with a story. So let's see what he has to say in this story. Verse 16. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods. By the way, many goods, that's stuff, by the way, all right? You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now let me ask you honestly, honestly, does that sound like a bad deal? Does this sound like a bad deal or does this sound like the dream of the American worker? His land was very productive, probably because he was a pretty good steward of the land. Land isn't just productive on its own. All right, so we have an individual here in the the parable of Jesus who worked hard. He was good at what he did and then he retired and he enjoyed his stuff. Is that bad? Let's see how this parable ends. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He'd stored up treasure for himself, but was not rich toward God. The recognition of the enemy is the first step to overcoming that enemy. And our enemy, brothers and sisters, so often is greed. Here's a question, though. It wasn't that Jesus was was attacking this guy's mindset in his parable about storing up for the future. What he was attacking was the fact that he had not been rich toward God. So here's the question. How is one rich toward God? You see, the words of Jesus will forever ring true. Now, these are different words. Matter of fact, here's the thing. Don't go looking for them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're not going to find them. But we're told on very, very good conscience, very good confidence that these words came from Jesus himself. And these are the words. You probably could, you could probably repeat these words. It is more blessed to what than what? It's more blessed to give than receive. We're told in Acts 20 by the Apostle Paul that these are the words of Jesus. And we're like, well, preacher, I can't find it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, let me tell you something about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. They don't have everything Jesus said, okay? Matter of fact, John ended his gospel saying this. If everything Jesus did and everything Jesus said were written down, I suppose all the books of the world would not contain it. And not only that, we're talking about the Apostle Paul here, who has this pretty special link with Jesus. Jesus shows up and talks to him sometimes. All right? So I think we can take it very, very uh, with confidence that these are the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving brings joy. It does. Giving absolutely brings joy. Just watch it. Moms, you can tell me about this, all right? When that little darling, three years old, works for quite a while, now quite a while for a three-year-old might consist of about 15 minutes, all right, but for a three-year-old, that's like 15 hours, okay, and they put this little gift together for you, you open the box Christmas morning, and you have no idea what it is. 
absolutely none, but you see the joy in your little one and you're like, oh, this is so special. I'm going to put this on the counter, okay? I'm going to put it on the counter because you have no idea what you're supposed to do with it. But the joy that it brings into that young little one's of yours face is worth it. And it is great and it is a great gift. See, giving brings joy. But here's something you need to understand. There's more, there is more to giving than joy. As a matter of fact, there's an element of investment involved as well. Investment. Matter of fact, it could be said, it could be said that Christmas is a season of investment. All right. It was a number of years ago, I believe it was eight or nine years ago, that you guys helped me out big time and it was awesome. I kind of threw a few hints out there during church service that I wanted to work sharp for Christmas. And I said, Church, help me out with that. Guess what I got for Christmas that year? A work sharp. So very, very good. So I got another one for you, you know. Just pretend Don and the girls aren't here right now, okay? Um, they are, but we'll pretend they're not. Okay, you know something? We do the stocking thing for Christmas, and you know something I, I really like in stocking, be pretty cool, is jelly beans. I like some jelly beans, all right? And I'm not talking about the jelly beans at Dollar General. That's not the jelly beans I'm referring to, all right? I'm talking about jelly belly jelly beans, all right? The only jelly beans that are out there. And you got the popcorn jelly beans. You got the cotton candy jelly beans. You got the best of all, the pina colada jelly beans, all right? Now, I will tell you this. Jelly Belly also has a game out there. And if anybody ever asks you to play it, don't play it. Unless you enjoy watching people puke or you enjoy puking. Don't play the game. I'm just going to leave it at that, all right? Because not all the Jelly Belly Jelly Beans are good Jelly Beans, all right? So, but here's the thing. I really, really like Pina Colada Jelly Belly Jelly Beans. And um, that's a matter of fact, that's what I'm going to do for my retirement plan. Silos full of Pina Colada Jelly Beans, all right? None of those nasty ones, Pina Colada Jelly Beans. I'm going to fill up two or three silos. We got two small silos on our property. I'm going to fill them full of Jelly Beans. How many of you want to be a part of this investment retirement plan with me, Okay. All right, I don't see many hands out there. You know what is really, really sad about investment? That's pretty much, that's pretty much how the world does retirement investment. As a matter of fact, I would say it's exactly what most people of the world are doing. And I'm going to tell you, don't be most people. Let's turn to Matthew 6, and maybe that'll spell this out a little bit better. Matthew 6 comes from the Sermon on the Mount. We spent quite a bit of time on the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount that we call the Beatitudes, but we didn't jump that much into the sermon itself. The interesting thing about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it is difficult, but it's not difficult because it's hard to understand. It's difficult because it's not easy to put into practice in our lives. And this is what Jesus had to say about investment. We're going to be looking at Matthew 6, 19, and this is the words of Jesus. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You catch that? Don't store up treasures on earth. Don't be putting pina colada jelly beans in the silo, okay? It's not going to last. And the question for us is this, brothers and sisters, where are we storing up treasure? How are we storing up 
treasure? This question is much like the one, how are we rich towards God? How do we store up treasure in heaven? Well, that's a very, very good question. And the great thing about good questions from Scripture is Scripture does a wonderful job at answering the questions it brings up. So let's go near the end of our New Testament. First Peter. We'll go from the words of Jesus to the words of one of his right, right-hand guys. Right there at his right hand. The Apostle Peter. Had a lot to say <laughs> many, many times. What he had to say here was pretty good. All right, First Peter chapter 4. Peter's going to get practical here. I like practical. I've always liked practical. Okay? And that's what he's going to do. First Peter chapter 4. Again, it'll be near the end of your New Testament. 4.10. This is what it says. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now we got to set this up just a little bit. This is a letter of the Apostle Peter to early Christians, first century Christians. The main reason he's writing them, as we looked at a few weeks ago, is things were about to get kind of tough for him. Okay? Very tough, as a matter of fact. Persecution was coming, and he was trying to prepare them for that. But here, he just gets really practical about how to do church, how to live for Christ as a family in this world. And he says this. He says, you've been given a gift. Now, the gift he's speaking about can be sometimes more easily defined as gifts. See, when, when you come to Christ, when you're baptized into Christ, you get that incredible gift of forgiveness of sins, but you also get something else, the gift of the Holy Spirit, part of God living within you. And that Spirit does a lot of things. One of the things that Spirit does is bring gifts, gifts that are to be used by you to serve people. So you get this, right? Now, I very, very much think that this is speaking about spiritual gifts, but it can be applied to all the gifts that God gives his people. Very, very easy. It's very, very biblical. Understand something. It is a gift of God that you have been given the talent and the opportunity to go and do a job and provide for your family. That's a gift of God. But there's something else about that gift. Look closely at this verse. He says, use the special gift, the gifts of God, Use them as stewards of the manifold grace of God. Okay, this just got kind of big for us. And what I want you to understand is this. When you apply this to the way that God, we say that God has blessed us, materially speaking. He's given us jobs where we can earn a living. He says, use those gifts to spread the grace of God. Understand something, brothers and sisters. God will at times use his people's stuff to show grace to people. He will do this. Now there's one, one word that really jumps off the page in this verse. He says, use this gift as stewards. Let me ask you a question. Is a steward an owner? Steward's manager. You look at the home you have, you look at the car in the garage, you look at the bank account. If you think it's yours, die and then see if it's yours. Not taking a penny of it, not taking a tire off of it with you. It's not yours. You've given an opportunity to manage it for a little while. 
And Peter says, manage these gifts in such a way to spread the grace of God. Yeah, Peter gets practical, but you know there's another apostle of Jesus that just gets a blunt. When Peter shows up in the Gospels, it's this. I mean, the guy, he talked, and he talked, and he talked. He liked to talk. Some of the times, some of the things he said were really good. Sometimes some of the things he said were really stupid, all right? And Jesus told him so. (laughs) I mean, he did it in a very kind way, like, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) All right, okay. Now, when John would speak up, not nearly as often as Peter, as recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but when John would speak up, it was usually pretty to the point, okay? So, I like the way John puts it. It'll just be a few pages over for you. 1 John, chapter 3. And I would say that John is not just being to the point here. He's being straight up blunt here. So we better listen closely. This is what John, the apostle John has to say. But whoever has the world's goods. You know what the world's goods is? It's stuff. Yes, exactly right. It's stuff. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So John gets pretty blunt here. He says, okay, you see a brother or sister in need? You have the stuff to help them and you do not and you've closed your heart to them? How does God's love even abide in you? How does it live in you? That's a rhetorical question that is not a very fun answer. It's not just the writer John that makes it clear. It's other Bible writers as well. Brothers and sisters, our first responsibility when it comes to helping others, when it comes to, because that's what we're talking about is generosity. And when it comes to generosity, here as we live in this world, our first responsibility is is our family in Christ. Why is that, preacher? Well, first of all, because we're family. And family takes care of family. But there's a second element to this as well. If you witness a family not taking care of the members of that family, taking care of each other, how attractive is it to be a part of that family? Tell you what, John's pretty blunt. He says, you take care of your family in Christ. If there is a need, you take care of it. You know, there are gifts when it comes to the Christmas season that are timeless. And I'm sure you could probably think of a few. Over the years, over the Christmases of of the past, uh, you might be able, if you think hard enough, think of the gifts that like maybe just one or two that, that you can remember from a long time ago. I can remember one in particular. I was 12 years old, all right, and I got a gift that still plays a role in my life. I got my very first compound bow. I got a man's bow. When I was 12-year-old. The thing was taller than me. I mean, my goodness. And, and it, it, it had played a role in my life that continues. I mean, I remember it. That was a long time ago, okay? And I remember, I remember another gift. Now, it wasn't a Christmas gift, but I remember another gift that I got when I, when I graduated from high school. And it was kind of through my church, but it was ultimately from my, my mom and my dad, and they gave me a Bible. All right? Now, my parents had given me a Bible before, but this was different because this was kind of like a, this is kind of like a grown-up Bible, you know what I mean? 
And I used that Bible for years. I took it to, to Bible college with me, filled it full of notes, used that for a long time. A few years ago, I was given another gift. So I somebody here in the church of a Bible. So I retired that one and it's in my office. But that will remain with me until I die and I give that on to somebody else. There are some gifts, there are some gifts that are timeless. But the thing we've got to understand, when we, when we look scripturally, What we come to understand, brothers and sisters, is not the gifts necessarily that are only timeless. It's the giving that is truly timeless. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said, remember, he said, don't store up the jelly beans. Treasures on earth where moth rust destroys, thieves break in and steal. What did he say? Where did he say to store up treasure? Where? In heaven. As we've seen, we store up treasure in heaven with our generosity on earth. Let me tell you something about heaven. There's a lot about heaven that we don't understand. There's a reason for that. Paul got to see it and he said, he said, if I was allowed to talk about what I witnessed, the things I saw and the things I heard, if I was allowed to talk about, he says this in 2 Corinthians, He says, I don't even have the ability in this life to describe it to you. But there's one thing about heaven that if I sit down and contemplate it long enough, it'll make the smoke come out my ears. Now, okay, I don't mean that literally, all right? But I challenge you to do the the same thing. Imagine a life with no more time. Everything about our lives is dominated by time. In heaven, brothers and sisters, it's timeless. It's eternal. And we have the opportunity to store treasure in that place. Timeless treasure. And when it comes to giving, brothers and sisters, this is the crazy thing about our king, who just so happens to be the king of kings. He wrote the book when it comes to giving. Our king would never ask of us something that he has not done himself. And when we say Christmas is ultimately a season of giving, it has nothing to do with presents under a tree. I hope we understand that, all right? That's a very small element of the giving season. The giving season is this. Jesus came to give his life for us. We've said this a few weeks now. We'll continue to say it until Christmas is behind us. And then we'll start saying it all over again next year. Christmas is not about a manger. It's not about a tree. What is Christmas about? A right. It's about a cross. Jesus came to give everything for you and me. Why? Because that's how much he loves us.